0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Friday, February 17th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, we bring you the latest from the 2024 campaign trail and then head back to the Iowa Capitol where the big topics include government reorganization and pipelines. Hello everyone, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me today is the full roster again. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good afternoon, Tom. Good day. We have Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. And how was six, Caleb?
1: It was great. Super entertaining.
0: Glad to to hear it. Uh, Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is back with us. uh, Her schedule allows again. Good to have you back, Sarah.
2: Thanks, Aaron. Glad to be here.
0: And always here and still with a post-Super Bowl glow that's just beaming right off the monitor here, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Congratulations, Jared.
3: Aaron, as but a humble underdog uh, from the backwaters of uh, Kansas City, Missouri, I uh, just wanted to say today, uh, (laughs) number 15, uh, he is him.
0: (laughs) And finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Hello. All right, first up this week, in one of the most Iowa politics sentences I can say, a former vice president and likely future presidential candidate returned to Iowa for a political event held at a pizza ranch. In this case, it was former VP Mike Pence holding court in Cedar Rapids. During his remarks at the event, Pence laid into school policies for transgender students, and he hinted at his future presidential campaign announcement, saying with a wink that recently announced candidate Nikki Haley may soon have some company and that he will keep Iowa Republicans posted. Our Tom Barton was there and covered Pence's event. Um, Tom, so much of what we're going to talk about during this whole 2024 Republican presidential primary jury is which candidates can generate enough interest to unseat former President Donald Trump, Pence's old boss, by the way, um, as the Republican Party's flag bearer. Did you see any indication that that person could be Mike Pence? How was he welcomed by Iowa Republicans at that event?
4: Yeah, I think it it still remains to be seen whether um Mike Pence um you know is is going to be the, the the person that um you know could um could outrun uh Donald Trump. Um he got uh he received a, a a warm reception um but that was largely um due to the reason why he was here in Cedar Rapids um and that was to Um, as as part of a a campaign um, that uh, he's launched um, or centered around parental rights um, and centered around... trying to combat and push back on uh, transgender affirming policies um, in schools like um, the policy adopted by the Lindmar, uh school district um, that is being litigated um, in his visit coincided with um, oral arguments before um, the uh, Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals in um, uh, Minnesota. Um, and so, you know, he, he received a, a, a warm reception um, from those gathered there, although it's worth pointing out or noting that about um, half of the group there um, was, was media, including. National media outlets, um, but um, among those gathered, I mean, obviously, um, you know, you had um, representatives from um, uh, Moms for Liberty, Liberty, excuse me, um, a uh, organization of um, conservative parents um, who are pushing back against. Um, these policies in school districts and, and who also, um, you know, led the charge or is leading the charge um, with efforts in the legislature to uh, around uh, school curriculum and transparency um, and limiting access to books and school materials and um, that uh, are related to issues surrounding, um, uh, you know, LGBTQ uh, people, individuals, uh, and in some cases, um, you know, books and materials that, that deal with issues of race. Um, But when asked um, what they thought that Pence prospects are in Iowa, you know, should he um, uh, announce a bid uh, for the white house? um, You know, they were, they were noncommittal. You know, they, I, I asked them, you know, would you support um, you know, a, a, a Pence presidency? Would you support his campaign um, should he announce? And essentially they all said, well, we're willing to see who else gets in the field. You know, um, they were really hesitant to, to you know, to, to say what they thought his his prospects would, would be in Iowa. You know, they want to see, you know, is Ron DeSantis going to gonna jump into the race? Um, are there other candidates that we're going to see? Um, and, and and so, yeah, they're, they're, there were a lot of people who were just kind of on the fence and were there to to see what the former vice president had to say um, and were there to um, – Support this issue of parental rights um, and um, support it as um, a focal issue for um, those candidates um, running for president in 2024.
0: Yeah, and you stole my follow up, Tom. I was going to ask you about that because I'd heard um, you were there, I wasn't. I heard that there was maybe, if not legitimately, just as many reporters in the room as there were general public to see. I'll throw this back to you, but if anyone else wants to jump in and and offer two cents on this, should should that be a concerning sign? I mean, it's obviously spectacularly early here, but that the that that a candidate can't even fill a pizza ranch for an event, and not just any candidate, the the former vice president uh, can't even fill a pizza ranch uh, uh, for for a campaign event, should that be concerning to Mike Pence's campaign?
4: Yeah, I mean. D- d- to, to be fair, I, w- I would point out, um, you know, questionable whether it's an issue of if he was unable, you know, to to, to fill the space, or maybe if that was just um, kind of a poor location or a poor venue for 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 that event, um, you know. Uh, so they, you know, it was in a, um, you know. Um, you know, private party space, you know, that you would book for, you know, children's birthdays and and family events or or, or, or whatnot. Um, And so, you know... Space was limited, um, you know, and, and with um, media there, including national media and, and all of the cameras, I mean, you know, the media ricers took up a good, a good chunk of that space, right? Um, and, and so, you know, then, you know, the ability to fit people in there becomes um, even more limited. So, you know, I don't know if, if, if attendance was a function of kind of lack of enthusiasm um, or support for the vice president, or if it was just a function of the limitations of the space that they had.
0: Yeah. And I guess in fairness, as we did here and I, I think about this literally in real time, um, the other thing that you could maybe argue is that, um, if you're a Republican shopping for a candidate, this primary season, um, you probably don't necessarily need to go see Mike Pence. You know Mike Pence, right? You know, I mean, the guy was vice president. You, you you don't need to go hear the guy to to find out what he's all about. You know what he's all about at this point. Maybe, maybe there's part of that too.
3: Aaron, I was uh I was checking some uh, favorability numbers for Pence on uh, on YouGov. And um they have him at thirty-three point two percent unfavorable with registered Republican voters, um, <laughs> which is not a great number to have if you're trying to win a Republican primary, especially yeah. when your former boss is unfavorable with Republicans is twenty-two percent. So eleven percent less.
0: Well, and and, and that, that reminds me of a good point, um we, as is often the case, just got off the Iowa press. Set and, and we had a reporter's roundtable and, and Dave Price from WHO TV made this uh, what I thought was a good point for all these candidates that, you know, they're going to have to draw distinctions one way or the other. That challenge is even more, even greater, maybe for Mike Pence, because if he too closely aligns himself with Donald Trump, he hurts himself with a segment of Republican voters. And if he tries to push too far away from Donald Trump, he runs afoul of another segment of Republican primary voters, so maybe more so for Mike Pence than anybody else. The 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 lane he's trying to run in is 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 very narrow, and maybe that challenge is even greater for him than it is almost any other candidate in this race.
1: Yeah, I mean, and on top of that, if Pence is going to uh, pitch himself as kind of you know his administration will be the Trump administration 2.0, but maybe. Less uh, uh, inflammatory, um, you know. That's going to be uh, it's going to be hard to, I guess, to draw enough support if Republicans already have the option of Donald Trump you know, right. to to kind of bring people to him. So yeah, yeah.
3: I'm uh, I'm curious. Um, what was uh, what was everybody's first time covering a campaign event at a pizza ranch? Uh, mine was uh, mine was 2012. Uh, Rick Santorum.
0: That, like, if, if you would have just asked that question of anybody, I think that exact answer, Jared, was like, the, that would have had the, the, the top betting odds. Like, that was the most likely answer right there was Rick Santorum in 2012. Oh, man, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a decent chance it was the same, same thing.
5: Todd, how I about I, you? I think I think maybe Mike Huckabee.
0: There you go. See, Huckabee's oh, campaign was before my time.
5: Yeah, and I mean, the you know, first one
0: anyways, the successful
5: one. The, the the pizza ranch that was just when the pizza ranch phenomenon was getting was getting started. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's you know, it's not unusual to see a guy who wants to be president who will never be president at a pizza ranch, <laughs> and I think that's what we saw.
0: Do you do you think that um, just happened? It,
5: well, the it, Pence gave
0: himself the pizza ranch jinx.
5: I well no, it's just, you know, they're just. People that are in position, I mean, he doesn't, I, I just don't see how he builds a base of support in this party at this time, after the stuff he's been through that, uh, that's gonna, you know, he's he's alienating, of course, if he, you know, like, has it been mentioned, the Trump people, if he goes against Trump, and now, you know, he's refusing to testify to the January 6th commission, which turns off all the reasonable, you know, sort of, anti trump Republican, so he's just basically you say he's got a narrow lane i i just i think he's kind of trying to run in a couple other people's lanes and <laughs> that's yeah, not he's easy. trying to
0: occupy multiple lanes yeah there you go he's
5: he's got like you know i don't know how tall he is, but he's he's got like five foot hurdles he's got a cross on the track i think is what the problem <laughs> is so i mean it's it's not but by the way,
0: yeah. Uh, Just a special nod here. I don't know if he's a regular listener or not, but uh, I can't help but think of this A special nod here to uh, Colin Crompton, the governor's um, communications person, uh, because we were as we were huddling before uh, the governor uh, met with reporters this week. He he, uh, joked that he looked forward to hearing all about the talks of lanes uh, in the presidential primary. And here we are with the very (laughs) next podcast. We couldn't help ourselves. <laughs> yeah. uh, in another th- lane. Maybe oh, we sorry,
5: well, maybe we should do, like, because it's Pizza Ranch, maybe we should do, like, slices of the pie. Who's, you know, who's, which slice of the pie are they going for? What, what's the, you know, how many, how many pieces of chicken can they, can they eat?
0: I like it. <laughs> yeah, fried chicken. We were just talking about that, and someone, uh, clearly not a Pizza Ranch uh, frequenter, said, oh, the Pizza Ranch has fried chicken? Come on, it's almost more famous for the chicken than it is the pizza.
5: Yeah, they opened one beneath my apartment in Iowa Falls way back in the day and night. My clothes in my apartment and everything smelled like roasted chicken. (laughs) So I am acutely aware
0: of of,
5: of the pizza ranch's large fryers, (laughs) pressure fryers.
0: All right. Uh, In another lane, uh, Pence's visit to Iowa follows one by Carrie Lake, the Republican candidate for Arizona governor, or the Republican who won Arizona's election for governor, but had it stolen from her, depending on who you believe. Um, And for the record, the question, the the choices on who to believe are either Carrie Lake or Arizona voters and election officials. Um, But during an event in Bentendorf a a little while back here, uh, last weekend, Lake, uh, who is a former TV journalist, Pledged to an adoring crowd that she planned to go Iowa witch on the media. And I have to be honest, I felt a little hexed this week. I felt a little hexed. So well played. Uh, Should have been Governor Lake. Well played. Uh, Now, you may ask yourself, why are we including Lake's visit in a 2024 candidate block here on the podcast? Well, she was asked about a potential run uh, at that event, and she didn't quite completely rule it out, right? Sarah, you... Covered Lakes event. That's why you weren't able to join us last week. Uh, uh, What was her answer to the are you running question? And what else was noteworthy uh, from that event?
2: Yeah, well, I asked her if she was running for president and she laughed and said no. Um, But she made several people were like, VP, VP, and she she didn't rule that out. So I think you know she's definitely um, raising her profile at a time when um, presidential candidates are coming to Iowa. Um, and she also has the distinction of growing up in Iowa. She's she graduated from North Scott High School in Eldridge and uh, actually worked for a couple TV stations in the Quad Cities before she went to um, Arizona. So um, which uh, they mentioned both of those TV stations were covering her events. So that was kind of funny. Um, So her message though, really, and, and I will say she's a very, very clear, sharp communicator. Um, And so uh, her main message was that um, voters, people who are, vetting these candidates they should really ask all the candidates what their position is on election integrity and ele- and election fraud and so uh and she said you know she she believes that no policy on the border no policy is going to really get anywhere unless uh in her words the, the there are more fair elections and Republicans can start winning. So, um, so she, and she continued to claim that uh, she won the 2022 uh, midterm election for Arizona governor, which of course um, just most recently, an appeals court uh, dismissed her uh, dismissed her lawsuit for lack of evidence. So, um, but yeah, so, so uh, her main message was, Asked these candidates about election integrity, and she really said she was going all in on President, former President Donald Trump to get him elected. Um, And so in a lot of her points about the Iowa media, about election fraud really seemed to echo uh, and really consolidate a lot of Trump's uh, message in his campaign rallies, but while Trump's are multiple hours, she condensed it into about a 30 minute block. Um, And I was really surprised by how many people wanted to come out and see her. I mean, she is from this area. So uh, there were some like family members and people who had tangential connections to her that showed up. Um, But there were definitely like, several hundred people that came and there was a line out the door more than an hour before, uh, before she was set to speak. So um, definitely a lot of enthusiasm for her in, uh, in Bettendorf when she came.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And that, that, that would feed into it kind of looking like maybe it's a, it's a, it's an effort to raise her profile and and make herself as a potential running mate. And then if she's going to bang the um, election fraud, uh, Drum, I, I think there's one candidate out there in particular who uh, has similar feelings about election results that she would uh, fit quite well with. So.
3: You know, it's, it's really funny that in only a decade or so, we've gone from um, Christine O'Donnell running for U.S. Senate in Delaware as a Republican and saying, I'm not a witch, uh, to <laughs> Carrie Lake, um, a candidate for governor in Arizona, now saying, yeah, I think I, I'm going to go witch mode.
0: <laughs> She's running in the witch lane.
3: Yeah.
5: That's yeah. Yeah, that's that's progress is what that is. That's just that's just progress plain and simple.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's get back to the Iowa Capitol where things are much less wild and crazy. <clears throat> Pause for laughter. Uh late this week we learned uh Iowa House Republicans planned for potential legislation regarding carbon capture pipelines and eminent domain, and also where Governor Kim Reynolds stands on the topic, sort of. Uh, Caleb, you covered uh, a news conference with Republican Representative Steve Holt, who introduced the pipeline bill, and you were also in a gaggle with Governor Reynolds, uh, pause here to celebrate Governor Reynolds addressing house reporters, um, where the governor was asked about the bill uh, give us a real quick uh, cliff notes of the cliff notes description of what Holt's bill would do, uh, and and then fill us in on what Reynolds said about whether she'd sign off on any pipeline legislation that reaches her desk.
1: Yeah, so the most impactful effects of the bill, um, you know, it, it covers a lot of area, but uh, it requires that pipeline companies obtain ninety percent of their proposed route of the miles of their proposed route through voluntary easements before being granted. The power of eminent domain to take the land involuntarily, and then it also requires that the projects be halted until new safety standards come down from FIMSA, which is a federal regulating agency, which will be at least another year or so. So, uh, you know, it'll it'll definitely halt these projects for at least a year. Um, and and the 90% threshold is a pretty high hurdle to clear. Uh, Summit, which has been it is a company that's been at this the longest, um, has about 67% of the route secured through voluntary easements. I don't know how easy it would be to get that remaining 23 percent but i know that there are you know, quite a few landowners who are just flat out refusing to sign so um that that would be a, a big hurdle um it also requires pipelines to be in line with uh all local zoning ordinances and have permits in every other state along the route before being granted a permit in iowa and it adds um more opportunities for compensation for landowners who do get land taken through eminent domain um so this also has the backing of um House Speaker Pat Grassley and twenty-one other House Republicans. So it seems like it's got a pretty good um you know chance of, of uh passing through the House. Whether that uh relates to the Senate is is not clear at the moment. But um Reynolds, uh Governor Reynolds was was noncommittal about signing the legislation, uh, which, you know, isn't super surprising. She has she's been pretty diplomat, diplomatic about the issue over the last couple of years. She definitely agrees with the ethanol industry's assessment that these pipelines are necessary for their continued um, existence or profitability. And, but she also has said, you know, that eminent domain should be used as a last resort. And that and in this news conference with reporters, she said, uh, essentially, there may be areas where the process can be tweaked, but we have to, you know, understand the um, importance or the impact that, you know, I, one of Iowa's key industries, you know, has and that, that is riding on these. Um, as for whether she'd sign it, she didn't she didn't give it a definite answer and said, she's going to wait to see where it goes essentially.
0: Yeah. And sorry, I was just going to say um that word I think was, was the key one when she said she's, she's open to maybe uh, the process being tweaked. And I thought that was telling because what representative Holt introduced is not a tweak, right? It's much more right. than a tweak. Is, is that fair?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely fair.
0: Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> That might not be the one uh basically is what Governor Reynolds is saying uh, but obviously we'll see we'll see what the Senate moves. um it's going to be interesting uh, uh it it's just been again, and we've touched on this in past podcasts, but it's just been an interesting topic, especially as it pertains to majority Republicans because as as Gabe alluded to that you, they they are aligned with the ethanol industry in the state, but also um are typically. You know, the traditionally the Republicans are the party of individual rights, which includes landowner rights, which uh, involves the eminent domain uh, issue. So it's it's really been a fascinating thing to see play out. Um, Jared, again, as we've noted in previous podcasts, this is a big issue in your area, um, and uh, one state senator, in particular, from Northwest Iowa, Senator Jeff Taylor, is very active on the topic. Uh, introduced a number of bills. What's what? Give us your sense, Jared. Either from maybe something Senator Taylor has told you, just based on, or 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 just based on your observations of this ongoing debate, what, what do you think? It, 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 will Republicans in the Senate and the House be able to agree on some kind of approach and get something to the governor's desk, some kind of bill that she will sign? Is is that possible, or is this too? Are there too many irons in this fire?
3: Um, so it, it doesn't come as a surprise, uh, from Taylor. Um, when I asked all of our legislators for their top priorities in 2023 his number one was um safeguards for the property rights of farmers and a curb on imminent domain abuse that was that was the first thing he picked so it's not surprising that he's been active on this and he's not alone in that um caleb talked about steve holt um you know elsewhere in northwest iowa we've got legislators like dave rowley from spirit lake uh tom january from um, lamar's zach deacon in granville and um J.D. Shulton here in Sioux City have all talked to me about this issue at one point or another. Um, as for what agreements there might be, I genuinely don't know because, as I've talked about before, this isn't something that cleaves neatly at all—not um, just along party lines, but even among you know geography in the state. Not every legislator's district is going to be equally impacted by this, um, which is worth considering too. And, you know, it's it's an interesting time for this debate to start ramping up. We're seeing um, more of a media blitz from the carbon capture pipeline folks, particularly Summit. Uh, I've seen more promoted tweets from them as of late than I have uh, up till this point. And, you know, the pressure from environmental groups and landowners isn't going to be dying down. And I wouldn't be surprised if it ratchets up, um, especially as folks – can now point to you know recent environmental infrastructure related disasters, um, like what happened in Ohio, and s- ask you know do we really want to roll the dice on a big project that's going to be moving a lot of material through through wide swaths of uh land so yeah i i don 't know what the agreements are going to be, but I do know that we're going to still probably be in a ratcheting up phase for a little while.
5: The bill was big news, I also thought it was pretty big news that the uh... That the renewable fuels industry sent around to lawmakers the, the study from the consulting group I can't remember the name of it basically saying if they don't build these carbon pipelines that the ethanol industry is is going to be decimated. So, I mean that that's what the other side is. I mean you know, and ethanol is still, I mean Democrats Republicans, I mean they're you know they're they're up to their waist if not their necks in it, and uh, so. I thought that was a pretty interesting tactic to basically make the stakes. You either do something to allow us to do these pipelines or you can kiss the ethanol industry goodbye. And that's, that's going to be a pretty tough choice for a lot of lawmakers. And it leads me to believe that behind the, behind the scenes, that the, you know, the governor's being diplomatic in front out, out in front, but behind the scenes with the connection these investors have to her office and others, I, I think she's going to want this to happen. Yeah.
0: Yep. Um, and, and if you don't follow Iowa politics, Iowa ag is closely um, a reminder here that when we say the ethanol industry, that also means corn farmers, uh, which there's one or two of in this state. So this is a, this is a, a, a big thing. Well, we're, we're headed that way. I mean, <laughs> no, that,
5: the funny. consolidation is getting bad. It's not, not quite that bad yet. But, yeah. There's a lot
0: of corn being farmed. Uh, There's not as many corn farmers, yeah.
5: We talked to Iowa farmer Hank Johnson. He (laughs) actually is the only Iowa farmer.
0: (laughs) Well, speaking of, of consolidation and streamlining, what a segue this one is. Finally this week, Governor Reynolds' ginormous proposed state government reorganization legislation is moving through the legislative process. The bill is so large.
3: How large is it?
0: Thank you. Well, the problem is now I didn't actually have a punchline for that. I just decided to do that in a moment. So that's on, <laughs> that's, on, that's on me, but thank you, Jared. The bill is so large, nearly 1600 pages, uh, that legislators are taking the highly unusual step of breaking up the subcommittee process. And, and this is the point at which um, lobbyists and the public are allowed to testify on proposed legislation. They're breaking this bill up into four different subcommittee meetings each of which lasted at least an hour. and Some of them lasted two hours and one normal subcommittee usually lasts a half hour at the most. So um, they are really <laughs> going through this and, and giving uh, some oxygen to, to let people weigh in uh, on this massive piece of legislation. Um, I've been covering this. There's obviously just so much to unpack in this, but but Todd, you're also writing about this uh, proposal uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's posted yet or will this weekend tell us that and, and uh, without giving away the farm and scooping yourself and, and stealing ourselves of clicks uh, what are your thoughts uh, about the governor's uh, proposal
5: yeah the column I, I wrote for Thursday so it's up Okay. Um, so make sure so, you don't
0: see that but but take it away Tom. so I
5: guess the, the question is where do I start well, I guess I'll just start at the beginning. Division One, the <laughs> Department of Health and Human Services. Oh,
0: PTSD, Todd. Yeah, I sat through these subcommittees. <laughs> you can't do that
5: to me. Uh, well, I've unfortunately read a lot of bills over the years, and I'm still relatively sane. <laughs> um, but for, the, for something like this, and this is one of the longest bills I've ever seen, I was trying to f- remember if there was anything larger than this. I can't uh, think I, of one.
0: I haven't been doing it forever, but I can't think of one.
5: Yeah. So I just have to do what I call sort of uh, intelligent skimming, which means I sort of go through pages. And if I see new subsections being added or large areas of the code being stricken, that's sort of what catches my eye. Uh, The column I wrote kind of focused on what they're they're making some changes to the attorney general's office. Uh, They've added some clarifying language, which I'm not, well, to make a long story short, they've added some clarifying language that says, the Attorney General can basically step in and prosecute any any criminal case in any county in Iowa, whether the county attorney requests their help or, or not, which under Tom Miller, that didn't happen. He usually waited for a request from the county attorney, but it sounds like Brenna Bird is going to emphasize her role in prosecuting uh, local cases. And I imagine that the ones she'll pick will, will not be jaywalking or uh, speed camera violations. They will be uh, a little higher profile than that, maybe politically charged, maybe involving, you know, obscene books, abortion, what what have you. I mean, whatever is going to be out there over the next four years. Uh, it also gives her ex- uh, a exclusive jurisdiction over all election-related crimes. So she can be the one that goes out there and, and prosecutes the person who voted twice or the auditor who made a boo-boo or, or something like that. And, you know, whether there was criminal intent or not may not matter if there's, if there's some blood in the water for a, for a, a big, you know, case involving what she can call fraud and and maybe it will lead to more integrity legislation and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, one thing this is related to the pipelines we were just talking about the bill sort of, I would use the word guts. Maybe they wouldn't, maybe backers wouldn't use that, but they, they certainly, uh, badly damage the uh, independence of the Office of Consumer Advocate, which is the uh, office that is supposed to stick up for consumers on issues that appear before the Iowa Utilities Board, such as whether they can use eminent domain to build carbon pipelines. That would be a good example. Uh, The the office will no longer be an independent office with an advocate serving a four-year term. Protected, sort of by protected and insulated from politics, it'll be become a division of the attorney general's office, where the advocate will serve at the pleasure of the uh, of the attorney general. And if the attorney general becomes dis- displeased, presumably they can be fired. Uh, the the attorney general, not the advocate, will hire his his or her support staff. Uh, the attorney the, the I'm sorry the advocate also would no longer need to be a competent lawyer as is currently spelled out in the code which means a non lawyer could be appointed which then means that they wouldn't be able to act as counsel for consumers before state and federal courts or in any proceeding legal proceedings that would arise from these issues with the utility board so basically you're turning an office that was independent had some some power to do some stuff and you're and you're making it just a, a, a a more, a smaller office dependent on the pleasure of the attorney general. And all of this is happening just as we're about to wade into this, into these pipeline debates. I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence.
2: It is interesting having covered some of these pipeline meetings for Wolf, the Wolf Pipeline in Eastern Iowa. I mean, the Office of the Consumer Advocate is one of the, um, one of the members that people can ask questions to and, Mm -hmm. and, and can really, um, So, and and then in the most recent one, there's some kind of litigation going on. And so there was some kind of uh, questions that the office of the consumer advocate could answer and some questions that the Iowa utilities board could answer. So um, I just, you know, it's interesting that, that as the office of consumer advocate is becoming, you know, more um, notable in these pipeline debates that, or in these pipeline conversations that, that this legislation is coming
5: up. Well, on the, the office has, you know, over the years has been, has, you know, tried to be a counterweight against utility companies and others who are seeking to raise rates or, uh, you know, do the various things that utility companies do. They have, the consumer advocate hasn't always been very successful as a, as a counterweight because these are, you know, pretty powerful companies and generally utilities board sort of sides with, with those powerful interests. But, under this scenario in this reorganization bill, I mean, I, there's there's really not going to be much of a counterweight at all. I mean, you, you know, not even a, a a fly in the ointment or the ethanol or whatever you however you want to put it. So I yeah, it's a, it's it seems like a bad change, but I mean, they Republicans control the whole thing, so they can remake government however they however they choose.
0: Yeah, there's just so much, and, and that um sort of aligns with one of the criticisms that I heard come up often through this extensive subcommittee process that that it appears that it's it's the proposal very much kind of centralizes power in the executive branch of state government uh, under the governor and and while she wouldn't use the word power governor reynolds has argued that that's by design what she's saying is that, uh, first of all, that this streamlines and, and, you know, makes government, state government more efficient and, and combines things that are right now spread across multiple state agencies into one agency, um, but also that um, it by, by kind of streamlining, reducing the number of agencies and, and heads, um, that it makes more of the executive branch of state government directly accountable to those fewer directors who are directly accountable to the governor and then, by extension of the Governor, the voters of Iowa, that, that that's the argument that the Governor's making. And what I heard often during this process, these hearings was that, well, another way to describe that is it's centralizing a lot of power with the governor, um, giving her even more authority, a, a bigger thumb on the scales on all these different places and and not even necessarily at the top, all the way down to programs at the community level. That the, that the governor will now have more authority over. So that's kind of the debate that's happening as this legislation moves. Um, and it's, it's huge, um, impacts so many areas. Uh, stay tuned to your local uh, Gazette and Lee papers for more coverage. You, we mentioned Todd's column. Check that out. Uh, you're going to see a Tom Barton and Aaron Murphy byline this weekend. That'll dive into some of this. Watch for that. And, and that won't be the end of it. There's a, there's already been reporting there's going to be more on it as this process moves and as it does we'll we'll keep you posted on future editions of on iowa politics as well Uh, but that's it for this edition if you enjoyed it tell your friends and subscribe to us on streaming audio services like itunes spotify and amazon and now that you've listened to the on iowa politics podcast make sure you're also subscribed to the on iowa politics newsletter where every morning in your inbox you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team here. You can subscribe to that on our politics newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Folks, I checked, John Machida is on Cameo. I'm really tempted. This might happen. Maybe just, like, for one episode. How cool would that be?
1: Okay. We need to fundraise $75 from the listeners. That's
0: right. We did to <laughs> start a GoFundMe for $75 <laughs> for the On Iowa Politics sign-off to be read by John Magina. Um If, if you want to send a donation, uh, 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 let us any of us know. We'll, we'll happily accept it. <laughs> the Olympics will play us out this week if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast please send us a sound file for Tom Barton Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett Todd Dorman and our producer Stephen I'm Aaron Murphy thanks for listening